welcome to Writing in Faith, a podcast about the Christian and writing life. I'm your host, Daniel Dynek, and today we're talking about different gifts among Christians and for writers, looking at a spectrum of methods we have to approach writing our story. What methods can we use to take our story from concept to final draft? Well, hello again, everyone. Sitting here again in my office with my cup of tea. And this week is going to be a pretty interesting week, I think. I've been kind of more excited about this episode than some of the ones so far. They've all been fun, but this one I'm really excited about what we're going to talk about. For the update, still moving along with everything that I have been. And if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of weeks, I've kind of broken down each of the different tasks I have set out for myself in planning for book four. And this week, what I want to talk to you about was that I had come out with a chapter outline. Now, this is something I have never done before in any of my books. First three, any of the stories that I've written before I started writing fantasy, I've never gone to this level of detail. And this is the closest I've actually come to outlining my story. Most of the time, I'm just kind of, you know, doing the world building, essentially. And I did a lot of that, or I'm still doing a lot of that also for book four. This is the first time I actually figured out how many chapters I was going to have, estimated based off of how long the book is going to be, assuming an average of around 5,000 words per chapter, which is fairly normal for books, especially of this length. But I wanted to, in order to make sure that I hit the points that I needed to hit at the times I needed to hit them, I wanted to make sure I could go in, go chapter by chapter. I really want to stay in one POV for one chapter, not switch in between. I did that in By Ways Unseen. The first three or four chapters are primarily from Hagen's point of view, and then the very end of the chapter switches over to someone else's. There's reasons I did that. I won't talk about them today. But for book four, I actually went through every single chapter, assuming 40 chapters, and outlined in order to make sure I stayed true to the structure of this story. Now, story structure is something we're going to be talking about in a couple weeks, so I won't get into that here. But it's really interesting for me to kind of, I'd already broken down, you know, what points I needed to hit and when for each character. So I've figured out the story arc of each of the three characters, where they start, you know, kind of their position in the world and what they're doing and where their their character is at the very beginning, at the 25% mark, 50% mark, 75% mark, and then at the end of the book. And again, that'll make more sense when we talk about structure later on, if you're not familiar with structure already. So I'd already done that in just kind of broad general terms. What was the arc of each individual's story? Then it was a matter of breaking that down into these individual chapters. And then as I was bringing these three storylines together, I realized that Averlyn is still the like the primary main character. So her story is the one that kind of matters the most. I guess you could maybe say it that way, at least for this, the book as a whole. She's in 40% of the chapters. The other two are, you know, roughly 30% each. So she already takes up more of the book. So it was more important for her story arc to hit those points. And so I start off the book with two chapters each for the main characters. The first two chapters are from Averlyn's point of view. The next two chapters are from Ketz's point of view. And the next two after that are from Tavil's point of view. So the first six chapters alternate between the three characters. After that, it goes a little bit more haywire, just kind of depending on which part of the story needed to be told next. So after that, it just kind of alternates 
to, you know, between whoever it needs to. But again, one chapter on each. And by the end, I didn't plan it out that way. But by the end, when I went through and added added up the chapters from each character's point of view, it ended up as a pretty even 40, 30, 30. So that worked out really, really well. And so I'm really excited about it. And like I said, that was a lot more work than I had normally put into outlining because this book is going to be so big. And so for each chapter, like I only give like one or two sentence description of kind of the, you know, what's happening in that chapter. But for me, it was a nice way to outline that I'm still really excited to write the book because there's obviously, you know, one sentence out of 5,000 words per chapter is not much. There's still gonna be a lot that I get to discover as I go which is what makes me happy. So that's done. I'm excited about it. So let's leave off of that for now. And let's turn to this week's devotion. We are in our third week now uh, in our thematic series on individuality. And today we're looking at the different gifts given to us by the Spirit. Because there's a lot of scripture here to look at, I know last week I was reading scripture for a very long time <laughs> before I kind of got into the topic. And I think that was necessary that time. This time we're going to be able to break it up a little bit. So I'm going to read a little bit of, of our passage and then kind of make some comments on it. And so we won't look at the whole thing in one go. We're going to go to one part of the Bible, at least primarily, to look at what God tells us about his gifts. And we're going to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to be starting in verse 4. As I said, I'm going to make some comments as we go, but we're going to end at the end of verse 11. Paul is writing in verse 4, and he says, There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it is the same God at work. So you may remember, I kind of talked about this a little bit in a previous episode, but this is kind of the important part of really this whole series, is that even though it's a different gift or different working out of what we do, it's the same God at work, provided that we are still offering all that we do to Christ. If we're doing it for ourselves, that is no longer from God. We may be using his gift, but we're not using it in the way that he intended. So we're going to pick back up in verse 7 now as Paul continues. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, prophecy. To another, distinguishing between spirits, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another, the interpretation of tongues. Just a quick note from the text uh, of the version I was reading that the word translated here as tongues is also sometimes translated as languages. But more importantly, notice the huge spectrum of gifts he talks about, and this isn't even the full list. There are several others given to us in Romans 12, verses 6 through 8, which includes things like teaching, giving, and mercy. Later in our 1 Corinthians 12 passage, in verses 28 through 30, he includes gifts like helps and administration. Also in Ephesians 4, verse 11, and in 1 Peter 4, verse 11, Peter talks broadly about those who speak and who render service. The point I want to really bring out here is that those who practice these various gifts will be very different people from one another. Some may stand out a lot, like those prophesying or speaking in tongues, while others may go largely unnoticed, such as those with helps or administration. In fact, those gifts may not even look particularly spiritual. There's certainly people outside the church who may even be atheists that are good at administration or helping. So the great danger there is for us to value one gift more or less than another. We may not say outright that people who prophesy are more useful to the body than helpers, but we can catch ourselves giving greater deference to those in roles that seem to benefit quote-unquote ministry more. That seems to be the gifts that will actually result in someone giving their life to Christ. 
We might even look at something like Acts chapter 6. There's a fascinating story that continues all the way to the end of chapter 7 that we can find there. Many of you who have been in church for a long time will be even familiar with certainly the later portions of this story because it's the story of the martyrdom of Stephen. But how the story begins is that people weren't being given food, if we make it really, really basic. As the disciples came together and shared everything they had and gave to the poor, And so as we pick up in verse 2 of chapter 6, it says, So the twelve, disciples that is, or the apostles, gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. This is from the New International Version, 2011. I want to suggest to you here that the disciples' attitude on display is not necessarily 100% correct. How many times do we see Jesus trying to accomplish some aspect of his ministry, but being overtaken by the crowds and having compassion on them and pausing in his journey to minister to them? However, the point the disciples make is still a good one. It would not be right for them to completely give up preaching the word in order to serve food. At some point, people still need to actually hear the gospel, as we see Jesus' model in John chapter 6. But the fascinating part of this story is that even though the disciples seem to give greater importance to preaching the word than to waiting tables, one of the men they chose to perform this supposed less important task was Stephen, the new church's first martyr. Let's never forget that. As proof of the equal importance of gifts, if we return back to our passage in 1 Corinthians 12, let's finish with the 11th verse, which says, speaking of gifts, all these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. All of them, not just some of them, are given by the Spirit. So it's not that the quote-unquote bigger gifts are given to those more spiritual or more holy, but each and every gift is distributed as he determines. Now, we'll see next week how this plays into the idea of the body of Christ and some very important ideas there. But let's consider a few things here for the moment. First, he does not necessarily determine to give some people certain gifts because they can't handle other gifts. It may be that your faith will only permit him to act in certain ways now, certainly. Maybe the idea of healing someone or speaking in tongues is so terrifying to you that you would not practice that gift even if you had it. But that's for you to determine about yourself. You should not assume that because someone has the gift of helping or administration, that it's somehow because they can't do anything more. Someone needs to have those gifts, and it may be that their faith is actually stronger, strong enough to clean toilets without feeling diminished in the presence of God, and to do it with excellence when others would feel such work is beneath them. Remember our example that the first martyr of the church was assigned to waiting tables, and even if he had never been called to testify, I believe Stephen would have continued to excel in that work until given another task. But by testifying so boldly and with such conviction, he proves that his faith was great enough, and even that he had the gift of speaking and evangelizing, as he so clearly demonstrated. But he did not manifest it until the proper time. Part of what we'll see next week is that, probably more often, the gifts that are distributed are determined by the needs of the body more than the supposed worthiness or capabilities of a person. When we find our gift, then, it is our responsibility to the church and before God to practice it to excellence, not to bury our talent in the ground, wishing we had been given more or less because we could have done better work with something other than what we have. As I said, more on that next week. For now, let's jump to the writing portion. I am a plant, sir. If you don't understand why I just said that in the way that I did, and if you're comfortable with a bit of on-screen swearing, drug use, and adultery, watch the movie Wonder Boys, a terrific film about writers. Now, some of you may not know what a plancer is. Here's the idea. When it comes to writing your story, there are two distinctly different methods of going about it, 
and all authors fall somewhere along the spectrum between the two. On the one end are outliners, also called architects or plotters. These are the ones who map out their story before they even start drafting. They will break down chapters, maybe even scenes, and maybe even parts of a scene. It's up to them how deep they go and how much detail they outline. Orson Scott Card is an outliner, as is another author I follow, K.M. Wyland. We'll be referencing her again later when we talk about structure in a couple of weeks. But I'm most familiar with her type of plotting, which does include several sentences on what each scene is supposed to be, because I listen to her podcast, which I highly recommend. It's called Helping Writers Become Authors. Outliners, or plotters, are then often able to sit down and just fill in the spaces between their plot points. According to Brandon Sanderson, famous fantasy and YA author, plotters often have really good endings. He cites, in his lectures, the book Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card and the incredible twist at the end of that book. According to Sanderson, those type of endings can only be pulled off by outlining first by being a plotter. Or at the very least, more often, you're able to pull off that sort of an ending by plotting it first rather than being our next topic. At the other end of the spectrum are discovery writers, also called gardeners or pantsers so-called because they write by the seat of their pants. At the furthest end of this side of the spectrum, these writers have no idea where they're going when they start. They may have a character or setting in mind, but much of what ends up on the page comes out as they go. The idea of pantsing is abhorrent to plotters, as plotting is to pantsers. For pantsers, all the joy of a project is sucked out during the plotting process, and they may end up never touching an idea again. It's discovering as they write the various characters and settings and problems that makes them happy. Stephen King is a pantser who, in his book, orders authors to never use an outline because it will destroy the book. One of the terms used by writers, for those who are not purebred pantsers but do enjoy some level of plotting, is plantsers. I am one of these. In each of my books, I have plotted different aspects of the story before sitting down and pantsing the rest. However, we're not here to talk about me as much as we are about you. Much like the gifts of the spirit, you will have been given a propensity toward one end or the other of the spectrum. If you're brand new to writing, you owe it to yourself to try each method and see which one works for you. Or if you've only ever written one way, give the other way a shot. If you've only ever just sat down and started writing to see where you went, try outlining. As I mentioned, you can listen to K.M. Wyland's podcast, Helping Writers Become Authors. She talks a lot about outlining your novel there to get some idea of the level you can go to and try some plotting. Or if you've only ever plotted your novel, Try writing one just completely from scratch. Sit down, maybe come up with one or two things and start to write and see where you end up. Even if it ends up just being a short story, it might be a lot of fun. The other thing you owe yourself is owning that method once you've found that it works for you. Opinions flare in the writing community out there as each person on the one end of the spectrum can't fathom how writers at the other end actually accomplish anything. One person I saw actually wished books came with a disclaimer of whether they were pantsed or plotted because they felt they could distinguish a difference and wanted a plotted book. They may have only said that to stir up trouble and get interaction on Twitter. More and more, I think that's the actual point of some of these posts out there. Not that there's any actual truth to anything that's said. And as I mentioned, Stephen King is a pantser. Even if you personally don't like his books, you can't deny that they're popular. The main point for you is to not feel like you have to use one method or the other, or that you can't use bits of each method as they work for you. As I talked about in the intro, this is my first time having any sort of true outline to my story. My method has been more to develop something central to the story. In the first Forgive, for instance, I spent a good deal of time on the characters and locations. I went through every single city, town, and village and wrote a paragraph about what made it unique from every other place on Andalin. But I did that because part of the key issues in the story was the self-determination of these locations as the revolution slash rebellion taking place in the country stemmed from this freedom. 
For book four, being able to manage a 200,000-word story and three important point-of-view characters is critical. So having that outline will help me keep on track and not write the story either too fast, too slow, or too much from one character's point of view over the others. For the rest, as I've talked about, it's important for me to have some depth of knowledge to write a soldier, a ranger able to fend for themselves in the wild, and someone who is the last of their kind. So not only do you need to find where you like to be on that spectrum, but also understand that different stories may require you to move to different parts of the same spectrum. It will not likely be that you'll move all the way to the opposite end for any reason, but as happened with me, you may need to move closer to being a plotter for a specific story because of its complexity. Or maybe the concept just won't solidify in your mind enough to plot until you write a bit of the story, so you may end up pantsing more of it than you normally would in order to sort through a particular event, or maybe you can't quite define a character, and you need to just put them into the scene and see how they act. So taking some time now to experiment with both methods may help you get comfortable with them before the story forces you there. What's also important, just as it is as a Christian, is not to assign value to something because it works better for you than other things. Don't obtain your value from the gift given to you by the Spirit. Don't say to yourself, because I do this well, I do not have as much value as the person who does that well. Or, because this famous author I admire writes this way, I must write the same way. You have to do what you have been given. Identify it, learn about it, understand it, and execute it. Be faithful in all things because you do not know what impact you'll end up having or where it may lead you. It would have been a terrible thing for Stephen to disdain his work. I'm convinced he would not have been given the opportunity he had if he had not taken his tasks to heart and done well. But don't also think, I only need to do this for a little while and God will bring me something different. He may, but that is up to him, not you. And too long thinking that what you do is only a stepping stone to something greater, and you will begin to think you have earned or deserve that greater thing. We do not earn or deserve, but the Spirit distributes each thing as He determines. I hope this episode has been helpful and encouraging. Join us again next week as we continue our deeper look into the body of Christ, which is the Church. And we'll be looking at different writing styles that you might use once you actually start drafting your story. Until then, keep the faith and keep writing. Thank you.